Uh, I just want to ask you a question. Who do you eat with? Who do you eat with? You're probably getting some faces going through your mind. I've got some right now. Who are the people, who are the, who are the people that you sit across the table from? Who are those that you share a meal with? Uh, who are the people you meet for lunch? Who do you eat breakfast with? Who do you eat a snack with? Who do you eat cereal with? What kind of food do you eat with the people that you're eating with? I want you to think about the faces that kind of go through your mind, that, that just flash across. Uh, and, and I want you to think about why they are those people. Why do you eat with those people? How did that come to be? Uh, are these people you know? Are they people you've known for a long time? Are these people you just met? Are you related to these people? Are they friends? And what do you eat with certain people? Ever thought about that? A minute ago, some of you got uncomfortable because I said, who do you eat cereal with? You're like, oh, I don't know. I thought about my kids. Seems like if I'm eating cereal, it's always with my kids. Now, I, I've thought about this quite a bit. I actually did not make up that question, who do you eat with? I heard that from my students at school. That's where I heard that question. I teach in a middle school, so I spend a lot of time watching kids eat. Sounds fun, doesn't it? It is. Get a whole group of them in a cafeteria and watch them eat. You'll learn all kinds of things. Some things you don't want to learn. You just can't unsee some of that or unsmell some of it. But anyway, I've watched students eat together. And I've heard the question before class or in the hall or on the way uh, or in the morning or something. And it, and it sounds something like this. Who do, you, who do you eat with? Who are you going to eat with today? Who are you going to sit with? And when I look around and I watch uh, the kids eat, they sit at these, these square tables and, that are dispersed around in the cafeteria. And they have sections loosely marked off for them, but there's some choice involved. So they're not assigned alphabetically. And so they will, they'll land somewhere. And I love to watch where they land. I love to see uh, who sits with who. But over here you have uh, the table of the cool kids. They just somehow know how to get together. It's by code. I, they don't say in the hall as they're walking in, and, they, and listen, they're, they're supposed to be in a line and not switch out, but somehow they figure out a way to wriggle out of line and get with their friends. And, and it's like an unspoken uh, code. It's a signal or something so that they all land together. So here's the table of the cool kids. So maybe they're wearing uh, skinny jeans or maybe, maybe uh, uh, you know, they've got a little sag going on in the back. And, 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 uh, or, or maybe they've got their, uh, their KDs on. Yeah, I'm hip. I know it. So, and, and, uh, and, and they've got their, their beats hanging around their neck, right? Like as a permanent fixture. It's sort of like just connected to them, you know, whether they listen to it or not. And they all look like that at this one table and they all... They, and, and, and they're too cool for food, this group. They, 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 don't, they just look at it and go, huh, whatever. You ask them, are you going to eat? And they're like, uh-uh. 
And see, I always know that I, yeah, I have to be careful when I walk up to this table because they don't necessarily feel like, they want to talk to the teacher, right? So, you know, I'm like, hey guys, how's it going? And they're kind of like, you know, maybe if we just stare at each other and ignore him, he'll go away. And then I'll look over at another table and this is, and I say this respectfully because, I, you know, I love, I love nerds, but this is the nerd table, right? So this, this is the table with, uh, and these are smart kids. They're smart. They're smart kids all over the cafeteria, but these kids have reached another level, okay? And so they, it, it, and, and it's, they, they live up here. They're, they live in their heads, right? Their bodies are just there to carry their heads around, really. So they always have books. They bring them to lunch. These are the kids that bring the books to lunch because they're not going to, they're not spending, if they have any free time, they're in a book. Of course, the books are never uh, anything, uh, you know, that, that has anything to do with teenage pop culture. No, no. Now, these books always have, you know, elaborate story. They always have 900 pages in it, you know. And there's usually a picture of a dragon or something on the front, right? And I love these kids. Now, I can usually get a little bit of their attention if I come up to them and speak with them. But then after a while, they're kind of like, okay, you're good. Bye, you know. Then you have, you have those that are in the middle. These are, these are the kids that don't really fit into any category. And they're all, they're all eating together. And, and, and so, they, you know, they can be friendly to the teacher. I can go up and maybe have a conversation, maybe even sit down with them. Um, they don't, they're not the cool kids, uh, Ed, but they're not, you know, they don't, they don't fit in the nerd table. They don't, they're just in the middle. But somehow they land together and they eat with each other. They eat with each other. And why is that? You know, God could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have figured out a way for us to fuel our bodies any way he wanted. He could have given us a year-long energy bar, and you eat it, and you last for a year, right? So forget the five-hour energy bar. You get, this is the 365-day energy bar. He could have done that. You could eat once a year, or, or, or I don't know, once every few weeks, like at Atacanda. You just eat it, and then you just lay there and digest. He could have done that. Or hibernate like a bear. But that's not what we do. We're created to eat several times a day. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. I don't know, however many times a day you eat. And then we wake up the next day and what do we have to do? We have to do it again. We have to eat again. And there's something about sitting at a table and sharing a meal with, some, with someone that is stamped into how we are created. And there's a reason for that. God stamped it into us. First of all, he put us in a garden. He put Adam and Eve in a garden. And really, what's the garden but just a big table of food is what it is. Because everywhere they looked, there was food. He created mankind in the context of food. And so when you read the creation story in Genesis, you hear a lot about food. And the variety that was available to them. Now, I'm going to tell you, and we're going to look at a couple of characters this morning. Luke read about, that, uh, these are the two main characters in this story. And they couldn't have been any more different 
than, two, than any two people could be. This would be like in my middle school cafeteria, the cool kid getting up and walking over to the uncool kid table, sitting down, and they share a meal together. This is unlikely. This is not something you're likely to see. Because we have Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion. He's an important man. He is a man of authority. He's accomplished in what he does. Think about this guy. This guy gets to wear a fancy hat. He looks fancy. It's fancier than the other soldiers. He's not just a soldier. He gets to wear a fancy belt. He makes a lot more money than the common soldier. He'd be kind of, and he's kind of like in authority, maybe like a captain would be uh, in, in our modern army today. But he was over other men. He may have been accomplished in battle. He may have been, uh, probably was, but he was at least a really good and strong leader. Really good at leading men and very, very disciplined. Now, he was, uh, centurions enjoyed a certain amount of social status. This may be a little different than what we're used to when we think of our military. They can enjoy a certain amount of social status, but, but it's, it's somewhat separate from the rest of society. But that wasn't really true with centurions. They enjoyed a little bit of political status as well. And throughout the uh, centuries later, that actually grew. And so here is a man of stature. And he, he led about 100 men. These centurions were kind of like the backbone of the Roman army. Now, you've got a guy like Peter. He's our other character in the story. I want you to think about what, what Peter may have looked like. He was a fisherman. Don't think pole and line and a little fish egg on the other end, salmon egg, Okay. And he's not fly fishing and just looking around at the scenery either. He's not sitting back in a lawn chair half asleep with his hat pulled down and a bunch of hooks stuck in him fishing. That's not what it was like. This was hard, hard work. And it took a lot of men together, usually with a net, dragging in fish hour after hour after hour, day after day after day in the sun. This is a weathered man, a man with lines carved into his face after years of work, his hands calloused. He's not enjoying any social status. He, is a, he has a thankless job. He's not getting paid 10 times the amount of the people, maybe, maybe if he had a hired hand working for him. He wasn't making 10 times or five times that like the centurion was. And he had a different background. Completely. See, he believed in one God. Where the centurion was used to the idea in his culture of there being many gods. And some of these gods were just people. People who had somehow reached godhood. But not Peter. Peter believed in Yahweh. The one true God. Now Peter, we know, is a disciple of Christ. He's a disciple of Jesus. So now he's not doing the, he's not fishing for fish now, he's, he's been made by Jesus Fisher, a fisher of men. And so we see these two characters coming together, very unlikely. So in chapter 10, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion that was known as the Italian, as 
the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Okay, we need to stop here because uh, remember I told you that, that in the Roman culture it was normal, the Greco-Roman culture, to believe in, in multiple gods. But this, there's something different about this guy. And that's what makes this story interesting. This centurion has had an encounter with Peter's God. He's had some encounter with the God of Israel, with Yahweh. He said he prayed continually to God. Now, he, he wasn't a Jewish proselyte. He was a God-fearing man. And he had had such an encounter with this God that he prayed daily, it says continually, to, to this God. This would not have been a normal thing. This would not have been usual. This would be a little bit of an anomaly. It would have been different. And he gave generously to the people, the Jewish people. Now, I want you to think about the symbolism in this story. This is important. Uh, a centurion, a Roman soldier... In this story, the readers would have seen him as a symbol of occupation of a people, of, a, of an oppress, oppressive occupation of an entire nation. And guess what? Cornelius is not just sort of consenting to it. He's a big part of it. Centurions, were, they were, again, like the, the backbone of what kept the army together. Peter would have seen a centurion as a symbol of that. He would have also seen it as a symbol of uh, judgment. Because whenever you read in the Bible of the, God's people, the Israelites, under someone else's command, uh, control or government or being occupied, that's, always, that, that's usually a symbol of judgment. God's judgment. Because God has told them that if you follow my commands, he gave them a lot. He said, if you follow them and you obey me and you honor me in everything, then you'll, you'll be a people that occupies a land that I give you. But if you don't, you will be occupied. And so here, this is a symbol of that right there. In this story. But the thing is, we're seeing a little bit of grace, aren't we? Through this, it's, it's kind of a bleak situation. But yet, we've got this man who's supposed to be on the other side, supposed to be the enemy. He is giving generously to God's people. This is really a, a, a little picture. I want you to think about it. This is like a miniature picture. Zooming in of what was really supposed to be the big picture. And that what will someday be the big picture. And it, it, I want to read Psalms. It's not on the screen. But I want to read this. This is the psalmist predicting or praying for in his prayer prophesying about what the big picture should look like. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let the peoples praise you. So now we see a little picture. This is a man of another nation. This is a, this is a, a little micro fulfillment of that prophecy. God is always doing that. 
See, he judges Israel over and over again, but, he, but then he always says, nevertheless, and then we see a little tiny bit of blessing. I worked in a coffee shop once, and I remember, uh, and, and they knew I was a Christian, and they, and they probably thought I was a, uh, you know, a holy roller or something like that. Yeah, I, I heard that word thrown around, but, they, but we were friends. I made friends. You work with people, you become friends with people, right? And I remember one day, it was amazing to me that this coworker that I had, who, was, who I was really friends with, worked with for uh, over a year, one day she, we were talking about churches and, and, and Christianity and things, and she had brought up the subject, and she said, yeah, I, I hate Christians, she said. Now, she's talking to me. We're friends. She said, yeah, I hate Christians. It, um, and I just kind of look at her. She said, yeah, because they hate homosexuals. They hate gay people. I, and so I, I hate Christians. And I was amazed at her willingness to say that to me, knowing that I was a Christian. But you know what? The next thing out of her mouth was, well, not you. I, I, not you. It's, you're different. It's, and this is kind of a picture we're getting here. See, Cornelius, this is what the Jewish people would have had to say about Cornelius. Well, he's different. Yeah, those centurions are so, the Roman army is horrible. It's just from the depth. Well, not you, Cornelius. <laughs> Obviously not you because, you know, you're cool. You're different. That's kind of the picture we're getting here. And, and it's really a neat picture. It's for us. This is good for us to see. This is a window into what God's people will encounter. And, and probably you're starting to, to feel this more and more, maybe at work or in your, whatever social circle you're, you're in. And that is being on the margins of culture. See, uh, at this point in time, in Acts, they're on the margins of, of society. They're not in the center. This is not Christendom. Christianity, not even, uh, Judaism is not even at the center of the culture. And Christianity is certainly not. It is off to, in the margins. But that's a great place to be. It was great for the people of Acts. That's why it's good for us. Because they were Jesus' people, empowered by the Holy Spirit and sent. And that's who we are. It's a good place to be because it's a, if you're in a conversation with someone like I was at the, with the, my coworker at the coffee shop, that's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to kind of brag on Jesus a little bit. It's a great opportunity to help uh, when Jesus has been defamed by whomever to help make him famous again. Tell the truth about him. Yeah, no he, no, he doesn't hate gay people. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about that. So I don't either. Let's, let's look at the word of God. Let's, let's find out what it really says. Let me tell you what Jesus really said. It's a great opportunity when you're on the, in the margin, when you're this person. And so as a church, we want to have opportunities like that. So in our comms, we definitely want to be doing that. We definitely want to be uh, creating relationships. That's why, it, as, as Luke pointed out a couple of weeks ago, relationships are not uh, everything, but they're a great way when God provides them for you to get to do this, to get to do what Cornelius was doing and what God's people were doing with it. It says the Jewish people spoke well of him. There was a mutual blessing happening there. 
And it reminds us, it, it, it must have reminded uh, people of Jeremiah where it says, uh, but seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. You know, in 1 Peter, Peter calls us exiles. He calls us exiles. And he's really echoing what Jeremiah said. He said, pray to the Lord on its behalf. And for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So I, I want to read a, a little bit more. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So, th- listen, this is a vision that is very convincing to Cornelius. Remember, I said he's used to the idea of maybe a, a person actually being a God. And he's used to the idea of multiple gods, but yet he's in terror when he sees in his vision this angel. So this is different. This is shaking him up. And the language that God uses, through the, th- that the Spirit uses through the angel when he says, when he says, your prayers and alms have, been, uh, have ascended, he says, as a memorial before God. So now we come to food. That's what that is. That, that's what, that, the word memorial is to remind the readers of a memorial portion. It's an offering. It's an offering that, uh, that the Israelites had done uh, for centuries, and it started in Leviticus when they were told to give a grain offering. And, and it says to give, it says, and bring it to Aaron's son, the priest, and he shall take it from a handful of fine flour and oil uh, with all its frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as, a, as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So that's, that's what God is, he's, he's reminding us, it's, it's to bring something to memory. It's to remind someone of something. And every time the Israelites brought a sacrifice, it was to remind them of something. Every time they ate a meal, they were reminded of some things. They were reminded, first of all, that they were not holy and God is holy. That was a reminder. Every time they ate something, that God is holy and they are not. Also, that God provides everything. They don't have anything that God doesn't give to them. So they laid it on the altar as an offering. And the memorial portion was a part that was offered and then some was taken for themselves. Cornelius is kind of like that, he's kind of like that, that portion and he's, he's kind of a memorial that's actually bigger than the food, than the grain. He is a memorial. He's the beginning of something new that's coming. This is the part of Acts, chapter 10 and chapter 11, where things begin to shift from happening and centering and orbiting around uh, Jewish people and Jewish converts and the gospel going out to those who were not. To Gentiles. That's where this is happening here. So it's very fitting that God would put this word memorial in here and tell Cornelius, you're the memorial. Why? Because he was a Gentile. And he was a sort of first portion of what was to come later. And all the rest of Acts you're going to hear from now on 
you're going you're gonna to start to see Paul's ministry take off. And Paul's ministry is known for being to the rest of the world. And so, he's, now, does Cornelius understand that at the time? I, I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. But he was definitely familiar with the sacrificial system of the Jewish people that he was so tight with. So he understood. He may have heard the term. So what's happening here is this is a small story set in the middle of a big story. And if we don't understand its context in the big story, we're going to have a really hard time understanding what this smaller story is about. You see, God told Abraham that he was going to make a great nation out of him. And that that nation would bless, out of that, out of that offspring, would the, whole, the whole world would be blessed. All nations, all nations, the whole world. He did not promise to Abraham that only Israel would be blessed. That is, that's not what the promise was. The promise was that his offering would, would be part of blessing the whole world. And so that's why the psalmist said, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. And that's why at this point in time, it's important to see Cornelius being a part of that big story. Verse 9. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up once at heaven, uh, into heaven. This, is a, this sounds really weird uh, to us. This is, when I first read this story, I have a hard time reading it and, and wanting to like camp out on it. I, like wanna, I wanna pass through that because that's weird. It's a sheet being, dra- I mean, draped down into, into the world and it's got animals running around on it. And no matter how often I read that, I can't get away from the weirdness of that. Why? And then why does he tell... Peter to kill and eat. I always thought, that sounds so barbaric. I imagine little rabbits running around. Kill, kill it, eat it, you know. And it just, it just sounds weird. But part of the reason it sounds weird is because what, we, we sometimes don't have the context that the readers have. See, first of all, uh, a, a textile or a big sheet would have been extremely uh, useful to that culture. It was made into sails. It was made into awnings. It was made into tents. It was, of course, their clothing. But see, we go to Walmart and buy our clothes. We don't have some, you know, we don't have to spin it. We don't have to go to, we don't go to the market and, and find someone whose job it is to, to weave, you know, fabrics and then, uh, and, and then have to pay uh, just to, you know, to get, you know, maybe you give them a, a goat or something and then you take this. We don't, we don't do that. Everything's so instant, easy for us. We get, on, we get on Amazon and we order a shirt. We don't like it, we send it back. 
That's not, what, that's not what this culture is like. This culture understands the importance of this. And, and I believe that it, it could have, it, it, the text doesn't tell us outright. So some of this we, we have to read into it. But it could have, it could have reminded uh, the readers of, of, of a tent. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, God, God's presence was kept in a covenant and it was kept in, in the tabernacle, which was a tent. Okay, would have been made of fabric. And that is where the uh, Israelites would bring their sacrifices, to the tent of meeting. And they didn't just bring any old animal. God was very specific about what they could bring. Some animals, God said, were unclean and some were clean. You couldn't bring the unclean ones. This sheet that's in Peter's vision has got all of them, clean and unclean. It's got lizards running around, and he tells to kill and eat. So, right? I mean, I mean, most of us in here, probably with very few exceptions, eat lizards, reptiles. I, some of you do. Maybe some of you eat rattlesnake. I don't know. But it's not common. You know, you're not going to go out to Penn Station or to rattlesnake, so it's not common. And, it, and we're used to just eating just about any old thing we want, Right? If I want to eat some pulled pork, I'm going to eat some pulled pork, okay? But that's not what's happening. See, Peter's seeing this and going, whoa, kill and eat. No, no, God, because you, I, he's, he's, he obeys God's law. He, he takes it seriously. It's part of his identity. And the reason it's part of his identity is because God said, I will distinguish between what is holy and what is unholy. I will distinguish what is clean and unclean and you are going to do that, and you're going to do that in every area of life, including what you eat. So let's not get confused here. God has not changed his mind and decided that what was uh, bad is now good. That's, that's not what's happening. When God created everything, he said it was good. So we can know it was good. He established that. It's good. But he set things apart, his own creation, in his authority and his uh, sovereignty. He set some things apart for one purpose and other things for another purpose. And, and what he did for his people, uh, the Israelites, is that he said, I'm going to make you holy. And so I'm going to use this food to show the world the difference between what's holy and what's unholy, what's clean and what's not clean. It doesn't mean he, he decided the pig he made and called good is no longer good. That's, God doesn't change like that. That's not what he did. He just said, it's not for you to eat. Because I'm going to affect every single part of your life. Even what goes into your body. So when you th- think about when you, when you eat food. The reason you choose the people you choose is because you realize you're going to be taking something and you're going to be putting it into your body and it's going to be a part of you and you're going to be doing it with someone else. So usually, we pick people we know, don't we? Because if I'm going to be doing something like that and I'm going to be chewing and, and, I, and I'm drinking and it's going in and it's becoming a part of me, I do it with people I know. I do it with my family. I do it with my friends. And, and, you know, as just a, a condition of, of the world, we do it with people that we feel comfortable with. We do it with people we like. We do it with people that we're like. 
So that's why my kids at school, they're pretty picky about who they're going to eat their chicken nuggets with or who they're going to share their Takis with. You ever eaten ta- You ever seen Takis? It's like a Cheeto, except it looks less natural than a Cheeto, if you can imagine that. It's almost neon red in color. It tastes, uh, I don't know, black salt and lime and, and, and some pepper and stuff. And, 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 and kids bring it to school and they have it in their bag, but it's reserved for their friends. They're not supposed to have it. They do carry big bags of it and it's in their backpack. And, and they pass it out to their friends. They don't just pass it out to everyone. Talkies for all. No, no, no. You have to be in good with somebody to get some Takis. Food is how God chose to be a part, an intimate. It's one of the ways. He chose to be an intimate part of his people and to show the rest of the world that there is a difference between what is holy and what is not. Now, uh, one of the things I wanted to point out here is, I don't know if you've noticed... (laughs) <laughs> but there's a lot of things happening all at once in this story. Have you, have you noticed that? I mean, Cornelius has a vision, right? And then he sees the angel, and he hears, he hears the angel speak to him and everything. And then, and then what's happening is, next thing you know, Peter's having a vision. He's praying, and he's having a vision. And, he's, and they're having a vision about each other. They're having a vision about... Uh, God is doing something crazy here. He's organizing something. That's good for us to know because many times we pray. This is what we do sometimes. We go to God and we pray as if he's not doing anything. And, 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 and I, I used to hear an old term, and I don't think it's bad. I think you should pray until something happens. But it would be like a push card, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. And, and that's good. But sometimes what we do is we don't think anything's happening until we pray. We really think we're moving God's hand. We really think that we're causing him to do something. We don't get a picture like that here. Not in the big picture, not in the big overarching story of the Bible, and not in this small narrative that we're reading today. We don't see that. No, no, God is going to great lengths to orchestrate the meeting of Peter and Cornelius. And it takes a lot of orchestration, too, because these guys aren't likely to bump into each other, sit down and have a, have a meal. It's, it's not going to happen. Peter's like, uh-uh, I don't eat rabbit, you know? I don't eat hare. I don't eat, I don't, I don't eat pig. Sorry. See, Cornelius, on the other hand, would have had, he would have been just fine with a roasted pig. It would have been great. Or a rabbit, for that matter. That would have been normal. It would have been okay. Just whatever's available to, to, the, to the Romans, that they could eat. Whatever they had the money for, or whatever they could uh, uh, get. But, but that was actually not the case with Peter. He wouldn't have, and they wouldn't have run into each other. They weren't even in the same station of life. God is going to great lengths to get them together. And I love that because when we're, so when, when we're praying to God, we need to understand that. We need to know that. We need to know that God is actually in control so much so that whenever we do meet our Cornelius or whenever we, whenever we get into that situation, we're going to look and go, oh, that was amazing. So that's what he was doing all along. I thought I was praying. I was praying my heart out. I wasn't even praying for this. I didn't even know what it, I did. 
trust him. When you're in your comms and you're praying for people, you better know that he's already orchestrating people to come and bump into you. He's already got that covered. It's going to happen. Somebody's driving in their car going, I need community. I need relationship. And then you bump into them. Maybe at your backyard barbecue you had, or maybe it's at, at work, or whatever it is that your calm is doing that, that, that goes outside of your own little, uh, you know, community. It, there they are. Or maybe they're even here on Sunday morning. Or maybe you are one of those people right now. Maybe you're sitting in here today, and you don't know until you think back and rewind the track You know, look through the frames. Oh, that's how I got here. But I thought I was doing this. Looks like God's doing something. That's what he's doing here. And this illustrates perfectly God's desire to reach people through people. Don't you know God could have jumped down and preached to Cornelius himself, he could have done a bang-up job probably, right? I mean, he wrote the Bible, so he probably could have done that. He didn't do that. He wanted Peter to do it. Do you feel like that you're not qualified to do something like that? Do you feel like you're not qualified to share the gospel with someone? To, which is preaching. Preaching in, in, in biblical context is typically taking the gospel to people who don't have it. That's typically what the word preaching is used for. We use it uh, for a broader, in a broader sense, but that's, that's typically what it's about. Could you do that? Or do you feel like you're not qualified? You say, well, that's Peter. That's big apostle Peter. Yeah, but isn't Peter the guy that denied Jesus? Didn't he tell some people, I don't even know this man? This is one of the three people that Jesus knew the best. This is one of his best friends. And how many times did he deny Jesus? How many times did he tell someone, when Jesus is about to be killed, crucified, how many times did he tell someone he didn't know him? He told him three times. Three and then he didn't, as they walked away, he didn't run after him and go, wait, wait, no, I do know him. No, he let it go. Three is an important number. We have three in here. This is how many times Jesus, uh, or uh, this is how many times Peter is told by God, don't call common what I've called clean. He said he does it three times. Three is really important. So this is Peter. But Peter is called to preach to Cornelius. Jesus restores his ministry. At another point in, in Scripture, we, we, we hear Jesus, he asks him, do you love me? Yes. Well, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. You know I love you. And he, he restores him back again as an apostle, as a, as a, a carrier of the message. Listen, if Peter can do that. 
You can do, we're called to do that. We're, we, we're only a man, just as we read earlier, as Luke read earlier. He's just a man. He's just a person. God's mission strategy of choice is you. It's the church. We're it. We're of choice. That means God will, will go to great lengths to do it this way instead of another way. He can do it another way, and he has, but he wants to do it this way. Peter had to believe some things about God. He had to believe some things about the Lord Jesus Christ in order to go and do this after having denied Jesus three times. First of all, he had to believe that he doesn't make himself clean. He had to believe he's not the one that can justify himself. He had to believe he could not get it right. He could not make up for that. Jesus could have been like, I'm sorry, I don't forgive you for that, you know. He went too far. Peter had to believe that God is gracious to him. You're going to have to believe that. You have to believe that about God in order to do something like this. So, uh, let's read verse 24. And on the following day they entered uh, Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I'm on the right way. Okay, good. (laughs) This is cool. When Peter entered... Uh, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And, and remember, P- Peter's still feeling that. <laughs> Believe me, I'm a man, let me tell you. And he talked with him and he went and found, uh, and he talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Now it's starting to make sense. Now it's starting to make sense. Now the word that Peter got, now that sheet with animals running around is starting to, I'm getting it now. Oh, he's not talking about the animals by themselves. Oh, he's talking about people. I should not call any person unclean. Does this mean that God has changed his mind? That God only loved a group of people called the Israelites at a particular time, in a particular place, and said, these are my people, and they're the ones I'm going to bless, and no one else. And then now I'm changing my mind. I want to be a friendlier, more tolerant God. I don't want to be a bigot now. God would say, I just, now I want to open up my kingdom to everyone. Is that what's happening here? Has God changed? Is he, does God change? I think we know God doesn't change. No, all along, it was God's desire that all the nations would know him, that they would know his goodness, that they would know his grace. Think of it as 
um, instead of changing directions or purposes, think of it as uh, seeing a new horizon. Let's say you're driving in your car. Uh, and uh, Rebecca and I, my wife, we, we just uh, this past week went to Asheville and we let, you know, went and hung out for a couple of days. And uh, so lots of really neat stories about that. But as, as we're driving there, I notice the scenery changes drastically as you're going. Uh, one moment you see uh, tall mountains. Next moment you see uh, kind of a, a clearing with wildflowers. Was the, is the geography changing? Is it, is it? No, it's not. But as we approach the horizon, I see something different. I see something that because of the, the curve of the earth. And the mountain I couldn't see before, I'm kind of starting to see now. And the city I didn't see before, I'm starting to see now. It's not that that city wasn't already there and that it just suddenly appeared. It's just that now that I can see it, it's being revealed to me. This is what God is doing. That's why the Bible will often speak of the gospel as a mystery. It's not a a mystery that can't be solved. It's something that was hidden and is now seen. That's what we're seeing here when God says, now, not only are these animals all clean, now everyone is clean. Not because I've changed my mind, but because that was the direction we were going in all along. That was the purpose of the trip. And so now you see it unfolding and taking place. And what I love about this is those animals in that sheet, those were a picture of sacrifice. He wasn't just telling them, kill and eat because you're hungry. Yeah, he was hungry. We often think that's the reason God chose animals. No, no, no. That wouldn't make sense in the context of the big story. He chose animals because people need forgiveness for sins. People need forgiveness. Everyone does. We all need to be forgiven. And we need a mediator to go between us and God. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. That has not changed. That that is still true today. Right now. Sacrifice, the system of sacrifice, listen, this is kind of going to sound a little weird at first, but you'll have to hear me out, is still in place. God has not changed his mind about the need for sacrifice. But none of us, that, to my knowledge, are going to go home today and sacrifice an animal for the forgive- so that we can be forgiven. But we're not going to do that, right? Why not? How come we're not doing that? Because the sacrifice has been made once and for all. That's why. That's why. Think about this. Why did an animal need to be clean? Because it... An unclean animal as a sacrifice is unacceptable. Now, it had to be clean. But the thing is, the sacrifices had to be made over and over and over again. And it, 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 never, it never took care of sin, did it? Because people remain, we remain sinful, don't we? And Peter must have been reminded, 
Go ahead and, and put this up. It's Matthew. Peter must have been reminded of Jesus' words because Peter heard a lot of Jesus' words. When Jesus said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, and this really clarifies it for us. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft. So he's not just talking about food now anymore. How does theft come out of your mouth, right? False witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And none of us in here may have eaten an animal that we believe to be unclean. But we've all had evil thoughts. We've all coveted. We've slandered. We've done that. I mean, think about, actually think about the last time it's happened. I know it's, it, it's kind of an uncomfortable thought. Think about the last evil thought you had. Kevin, why are you making us do that? This, just do this with me. Think about that. When is the last time that uh, you harbored an evil thought? And you know it's wrong. Like, your conscience is saying this is wrong. And you're thinking it. Maybe it's about a person. You see, Adam and Eve did that. They ate a fruit that was actually a good fruit. The fruit wasn't bad. Because we know now that what goes into you is not what makes you bad. That's what comes out. And what was in their heart? Well, they believed some slander about God. They believed a lie about God because the servant said, God's not really good. He's he's holding you back. His rule is tyrannical. He's oppressing you. Eat this fruit. Take matters into your own hands and be a God be in control. And they believed it. They slandered God in their hearts. And all of us have done the same thing. And when is the last time that we've thought, God's not really good? He can't be. Look at this. Look at what's happened. When we experience uh, a loss, a sickness, a divorce, loss of a job. That's when we start to listen to lies about God. He's not really a provider, is he? We say, a voice says. And then our hearts are full of evil thoughts. And we're unclean at that point and cannot enter the presence of God. But there was somebody who was. There's somebody who was clean. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way we were, every single way, yet he did not sin. That means he did not harbor evil thoughts. He lived a life perfectly 
on this earth. He walked on this earth. He lived, and then he died. But he didn't just die as a, good, as a nice sentiment toward us. He died because sacrifice is necessary. We still need it. The only difference is Jesus doesn't have to do it again because he was truly a spotless lamb. He, he was the sacrifice. He was, he was food. Because many times, sacrifice. The, who ate the, the sacrifice? The priest would put the, the animal and, then, and, and be, it would be a burnt offering. They would eat some of it. <laughs> so not only is Jesus a sacrifice for sin, like taking our place when we deserve it, he's actually our food as well. Like we eat a meal. That's why when he told his disciples, you know, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everyone's like, whoa, that's how hard teaching. Yeah, it is. It is. But that's what he was talking about. And that's what we do when we do communion. When we share communion with each other, we're actually remembering that we get to actually eat together in the presence of Jesus but we're also taking him in to ourselves. The Bible says he's the bread of life. Like he's the bread of life. So, and we're actually going to do that today. So eating together and who you eat with is about more than people who are like you, people who are your friends, it's about acceptance. Eating food is a means of acceptance. Eating food is a way that God accepts us. When we eat the uh, uh, Lord's Supper today, when we have the communion, that is a place where we are accepted. We can go into God's presence because we're clothed now with a perfect life, with the, perf- with the righteousness of God. With the righteousness of God. And so now, when we leave here today and we're sent, and we go out and we eat with people, and we share our lives across the table with people, we're free to be with those that are different. They're the same as us in that We've all sinned. But they may not know Christ. They may not put their trust in Christ. They, they will be different. It will be different. Or it may just be people that we don't know. We're free to do that. Peter was free. He was freed to do that. He wasn't forced. You notice that? Peter said, I realize now, now I can come in and eat with Cornelius. He actually ate with Cornelius. We find out in chapter 11, it doesn't say in chapter 10, but in chapter 11, it actually, when the circumcision party uh, gets a hold of this news, and they're like, whoa, 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 uh, 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 Peter, <laughs> what happened here? He said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter's like, yep, but let me explain. Let me explain. When we go and we eat with people, we're not only going to be eat, taking food into our bodies, 
we're actually going to become the food. Sounds a little weird, but listen to this. The Bible says, taste and see that I am good. This is God saying, taste and see that I am good. Well, how do you taste God? Well, primarily through his word. And who is his word carried by? Primarily through his people, us. People taste and see that he's good when they are with us, with the church, with his people. Some of you in here, you may be in here today and you may not have ever tasted the goodness of God. So our prayer today, while we're taking communion, is that you would, that you would take him that you would take Jesus, the bread of life, the perfect sacrifice, the food that we need, and that you would be sustained. It, oh, and by the way, you never thirst again. You never hunger again. You are never, you are never alone and destitute and poor like that again, ever. He sustains us daily, daily, forever. Because looking forward, uh, when we're eating meals with people out in our comms, I even think of, I'm thinking in terms of our comms, when we eat with each other and we eat with others, we're actually giving people a picture of what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb with Revelation. At the end of the Bible, see the beginning of the Bible starts with a meal, with a fruit. The end of the Bible ends with a meal as well. It's a big dinner. It's a big celebration. It's a big meal. The marriage supper of the Lamb. We're, we're a small picture of that when we're eating together in the presence of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. By His Spirit, He is here, and we're eating with Him, and we're actually consuming Him. And when people are around us, in a weird way, they're consuming us. Because the Bible says we are a living sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice. And we're a royal priesthood. That means we're the media we, we get to mediate to Christ. We get to point to him. We also get to mean to be the means by which they receive him. So by the Spirit of God, we can be that food for people. We can bring the word of God to them. We can point them to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect meal. So I'm going to go ahead and pray as the team comes back up and as we uh, move into uh, another part of our worship today.